So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the continuing series of the Sirius Seminar. We have uh, as a guest this afternoon, someone who is familiar with the history here. Yeah. Orbindo uh, Sundaram was a graduate student here uh, many years ago. <laughs> uh, <he> was, <laughs> it was more than 25 years ago because it was before Sirius started. He was a student in the precursor to Sirius, the Coast Lab, uh, where he completed his master's degree and then when, went to work uh, for uh, Schlumberger uh, and followed a path that led him here to Relics as, uh, well, I'm not sure what your exact title is there, but he's, he's in charge of security for Relics, which he'll tell you about is a global company with great reach. And he's been involved in security for his whole career, which uh, gives him a great perspective to tell us about our journey in fishing mitigation. So Robin, thank you for coming back to visit and take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Spaff. Um, good afternoon, everybody. It is an absolute pleasure to be back here. Um, yeah, so I was at, at Coast back from 1995 to 1997. And, and so I've known for all this time, big inspiration to me and, and to my family, everything I've sort of done in my career and accomplished eventually goes back to SPAF accepting me to work in uh, in Coast and, and and then from there getting me or helping me get that my first job at Slamboge and 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 onward. So um, it's an honor to be here and, and, a, and a pleasure to speak with all of you. So, so we're going to go through a little bit of our journey, my, my company's journey in trying to mitigate phishing attacks that that happen or, or that occur within the industry and against us in particular. Before I do that, though, let me talk a little bit about our company itself. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Relax. Uh, you probably don't know Relax, but they're the parent company of LexisNexis. Uh, they're also the parent company of Elsevier, who you absolutely have to know. Any hate mail that you have to say about Elsevier and pricing, uh, please send it to someone else. Uh, I work in corporate. I, I kind of manage all of our four operating divisions. Those are the two I, I figure you'll be uh, fairly familiar with. We also have a big um, risk and insurance business within the US. And, and so you won't recognize it or its brand names. What I, but what I'll tell you is when you go to um, renew uh, or, or to get a quote on your car insurance, for instance, you go to like progressive.com and you, and you type in your name. And then it pulls up your vehicles and, and other drivers, and then they and, and then sort of munges through your claims and your tickets and whatnot, and presents you with presumably a fair quote. Much of that back-end work is being done by us through risk modeling systems that, that work with the progressives and the Geico's and the state farms and everyone else. So, so in a sense, we have a lot of sensitive information, um, a lot of data, and, and, and we've fairly profitable. And, and so that makes us a target for all sorts of attackers from people who want to circumvent bank authentication processes that, that tie into us um, to people that just know we're profitable and want to steal money from us through through some attack or the other. And, and, and so, um, like Spaff said, happy to take questions after this. I'll try to zip through the prepared material so we can have a, a, a conversation really. Um, phishing is an easy topic to have questions and opinions about, which is great because all of us get phishing uh, emails and all of us think we know what to do to fix it. So, so it's, it's always great from a conversation perspective. Um, uh, on the agenda, I have several slides talking about problem statements and, and, and potential solutions. Uh, and, and in those in that set of slides, uh, I'll show you a little bit about the kinds of things that we do. I'll give you, show you some statistics of what's worked, what's hasn't. And then we'll go into a case study about how we've used phishing simulations to essentially build institutional memory around um, detecting and reporting um, both the simulations and, 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 and real fish, phishing emails as well. And then after that, we'll go into controls and recommendations because everyone thinks 
we should be doing a bunch of things to try and mitigate against phishing. And I'll tell you what we've done and what's worked for us well, what hasn't worked. And that's where I think maybe a lot of the conversation will be because people have strong opinions of what what uh, people ought to be doing. And, and then we'll close it out, really, um, with, 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 with Q&A. So, so the reason phishing scams keep working, this is uh, uh, from Dilbert, and, and it's so true, right? You only need one person to click on, click on an email. And so as long as you can send thousands of emails continuously over time to hundreds of to, to thousands of employees, at some point, someone's going to be busy, someone's going to be um, distracted, someone's going to be pressured or triggered, and they're going to click for it. Uh, click, click on a link, reply to an email, reply to a text message, and then really the game, the, the game is on, right? So, so once you kind of realize people are always going to fall for um, phishing scams, um, it's, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, well, now that we know that, what are things that we can do to reduce the, the blast radius? Of and, and, and so that's what we look at is we've got, give or take on any given day, 33, 34,000 users. Um, we get millions of daily emails and I'll show you some stats of actual number of uh, emails that come into our enterprise from the outside on a, on a quarterly basis. Attack surface is big. You cannot detect everything, uh, although we try. And, and so our job is next to impossible. And, and so you can see, you know, when you look at the Facebooks and the and the Googles that were victims of close to $100 million in phishing scams, right? So clearly for Facebook and Google, $100 million is real money, but much more real money than it is for, say, a Relics or, or, or a smaller company. But if they and their you know, super smart employees could be conned out of $100 million. Every one of us is, is, is vulnerable. Um, I put, picked this up from the from the, the internet as well, which, which is that uh, business email compromise attacks have cost 40, 40, billion odd, 40 billion odd dollars over the last five years globally. Um, and, and I can understand that, right? Because when you start taking... $100, $200, a few thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars from companies and individuals, that adds up to real money over the days, over the weeks, over the months, over the years. So, so, that, so, so sort of now that we've got some of the, uh, the, the structure uh, out, out of the way, um, let me talk at, at a high level about incidents in our enterprise, like actual real incidents that have happened. Um, the most obvious ones are the business email compromise attacks, right? And so this is the boss or or or, or, or a purported boss dropping a note to a to a secretary saying, "I'm in a conference. I want to give some gift cards to people. Can you get me some gift cards?" Um, secretary, of course, do, doing what the, the the boss wants is like, "Yep, sure, I can do that." And then the boss goes, uh, "Go go 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 to a store, pick up these gift cards." Um, scratch the, the the back of them off, take a picture and send it to me. And, and so all of us are thinking, wow, nobody would ever do that. But you'd be surprised how common it is because as soon as that very first message goes through and the secretary has responded saying, yep, boss, what do you need? They're past that trust, trust threshold, right? So once they think that's the boss, everything else coming after that is is normal or, or or expected and it's only sort of in hindsight after they've been scammed when they look back they they think wow how did i fall for this the second sets the the second subset if if you will of attacks are attacks on our customers um and and, and some on us too but but, but mostly on our customers uh, one is lookalike domains, and, and so you'll see it'll come from relax.com with an extra E, or, or relax-online.com, or, or relax1.com, whatever else, and, and, it, and, and it's just sort of a scattergun approach where they send, they know what industries we work in, they know who our customers likely are, and I just told you, right, many of the large insurance companies are our customers, and so they get John.do at 
uh, acmeinc.com, uh, alice.doed at acmeinc.com. And they scatter the bomb them and say, this message is from Relax. Our bank information just changed. Please, please do, uh, please send your future um, payments to this new bank information. And and eventually, if you do that long enough and 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 broadly enough, someone will bite. Uh, and and then you know, like I said on 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 slide two, someone will hope someone will bite. Um, at 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 a, at a less sophisticated level, the attackers will come from generic domains. It'll be just a Gmail account because it's easy to set up and it's free. But the common name will contain one of our staff members' names. It might it might be our CEO, for example, or it might be um, it, it might be someone high up in the company that potentially the customer is familiar with, um, but may just look at the common name on the email coming in and be like, oh yeah, yeah, this is this is legitimate. Let me do what they want. And then finally, the most sophisticated ones we've seen are true man-in-the-middle attacks. And and we've never quite been able to prove it. Uh, we've got a lot of circumstantial evidence, never been able to prove it. But we believe it's all it's every case that we've had of this type um, has been through compromise of our customer's mailbox. And so what's happening here is um, a customer has their mailbox compromised, and the attacker goes through the mailbox and looks to see who they're doing business with. Let's say they're being doing business with us, and a an invoice is is, is coming due or is going to, is going to show up in the near future. What the attacker does is sort of sit quietly until the invoice is imminent, and then they set up a two new lookalike domains. One is a relx.com with the ex, and the second is a customer domain with a zero instead of an o, and then they sit in the middle. And they play the conversation between us and the customer while intercepting every message and modifying it. And, and so, so they might send a note from Relax that says, hey, customer, uh, I'm Relax. I need you to change your bank information. And the customer is like, uh, that's weird. How come? Or something of the sort. That message goes to the man in the middle who then edits this and says uh, something like, Sure, I can do that. Um, can I prepay for next year's um, invoice as well? And 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 then Relix responds, and it, you you get it. I mean, I think many of you are uh, computer science students, or you've done some computer science courses, so you know how these man in the middle attacks work. We've typically seen them kind of more in networking and 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 anti spoofing and and kind of layer two scenarios but but these are much more uh, the application and up levels where, where where this is happening somewhat sophisticated just because of the um effort to compromise a mailbox and then set up uh, lookalike domains monitor the emails coming through um uh, modify them etc cetera, etc cetera. and then all of these concepts turn around and they get applied to in in, in some in, in in some way to uh, vishing and smishing. And, and so vishing is when you do um, voice message phishing, and then smishing is when you do phishing over SMS or WhatsApp or any of those messaging um, frameworks that, 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 that people use. And then finally, I didn't mention it on here, but uh, one of the things we've seen actually is a little bit of deep fake activity, which is where someone will call in and say, hey, I am Joe, the CEO of uh, Relax. Uh, please go ahead and um, take a look at the text message I'm sending. Uh, we need some urgent financial transactions done. And that sounds exactly like our CEO or CFO. And again, we don't have proof positive of this, but because those voices sound so similar, we believe it's it's the, one of these tools that can take public speeches by someone, uh, you know, like two or three minutes worth of publicly available speeches by a CFO or a CEO, and then be able to uh, speak just like them. So they can't do it live, but what they can do is offline be able to 
give it a passage to read, and then use that hook to get into a, either an email conversation or, or a text conversation to essentially get past that trust barrier. So those are the things we've seen in our enterprise. We have lost, we, we have also lost uh, money as, as a result of, of, of some of these. It's never been uh, close to the $100 million that Facebook and, and, and Google had, um, but, but uh, every dollar that's going to a criminal hurts us from a, just from a pride and ego perspective. So we, we try to um, reduce those as much as we can. Um, so, so, so the assumptions we took, you know, at one point um, back in 2020, we said something like, let's try to be fish free by 2020. A, for two reasons. One, because it rhymes pretty well. And two, because we really thought we could get to zero people being vulnerable to phishing. And, and, and fairly soon in that journey, we realized, no, you can't. It's just not possible. There, there, there's just too many ways around every, basically every protection you can put in place. And, and so we realized, okay, we can do it. We, instead of trying to stop everything, which is sort of this top block over here with preventing, uh, what we can do is block many common attacks. Uh, we can train our users well enough to catch common stuff. Um, and, 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 and we can raise the bar with kind of nudging and, and, and real-time prompts to make users realize midway through a transaction, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Pause it here. Um, the problem is that the real world sort of comes in and slaps you around the face. And, and that's because deeply personal messages trump reason any day, right? So if, 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 I were to send a message across our company saying something like, um, there, there, there are recessionary trends in the industry. We're going to have to let go of 7% um, of our workforce, open this attachment or reply to this email to find out who's affected. I bet we get a lot of responses, right? And, and that's normal because people are human and they see what's happening in the industry with Google and Microsoft and everyone else. And when they get something that's so close to it, that says, oh, yeah, yeah, people are getting laid off. And here's a link that lets you know if you're going to be laid off, boom, you've got a good chance of getting a few people clicking. And the second thing, and, and, and this really, really bothers me, is that when legitimate messages from, let's say, HR or marketing or IT look suspicious, you're starting to lose the battle with your users. And, and I really hate that. It, it, it's, it, it's, I'll say, pet peeve of, of mine, which is when our corporate department send an email that says, urgent, urgent, you need to do ABC or, or something bad's going to happen. Because that's exactly the message that the fish, phishing emails look like. And so we end up in the real world again, we end up telling our users, here are the signs of a phishing email. Don't take action on them. And then when some fool in a corporate function of some sort sends out a message that looks exactly like that and our users question it, we turn around and we say, well, this message is actually uh, okay to, to react to. And what does that do? It completely um, blurs the message and, and the action that we wanna take the users to take. And so when they get a message the next time, they're not sure whether it is real or fishy and they default to action and, and that that screws us. And, and so that's one of our ours and every organization's biggest issues is you cannot give users clear information on how to detect and, and, and not respond to a fish and then follow it up with messaging from your own enterprise that looks fishy because you, you, you just slapped yourself in the face at that point. Uh, what we did realize too is that detecting phishing quickly is possible and that we have to co-opt our users into it uh, and then be able to respond really, really quickly. And, and so that means either user-based, right? When you look at the, the three types of controls, uh, users, uh, sorry, people, process, and technology. This one is people and technology because it's about users being able to detect it and then technology being able to respond to it once the user detects it. And then finally, 
no matter what you do with prevention and detection, we know bad stuff is going to happen. And, and, and really the goal for us was to say, okay, uh, how can we make sure we don't lose $100 billion? How, how can we make sure no matter what a CEO or, or, or purported CEO says that they can't bypass some of our controls? And, and so by putting in dual controls, right, you guys are familiar with this from uh, shooting off uh, ballistic missiles. You need two human beings somewhat far apart uh, to be able to at the same time uh, do do something for 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 a missile to be launched. It, it's something similar to that. It's is to have two independent parties have to do something different for a sensitive operation. So that yes, we might lose a thousand bucks here or or a few thousand dollars here, but we won't lose ten million dollars because you 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 you'll have to fool at least two different people, and then sort of up the chain uh, you may have to fool a few more. Um, I, I want to talk about what we what we think is a a, a holistic solution. I'll, I'll sort of zoom through this and 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 I kind of base it on um, policies and risk assessment, um, training and awareness, sort of assurance methods, whether it's fish fish testing of our staff or uh, process penetration testing, where we call in and pretend to be the CEO of our company and try to harass someone into doing something they shouldn't do. And then around uh, feedback loops of enhanced training, uh, new technology and, and kind of tweaking existing technology. And, and, and one that I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about, which is disciplinary actions. There's two, two pieces to, to this, right? If someone makes a mistake, you want it to be blame-free because if you beat up on someone for making a mistake, They'll never report it and your culture will suffer. But at the same time, if you're doing, let's say, phishing simulations and, and this person keeps clicking on uh, AA phishing email despite training and reinforcement and everything else, do you have to put a little stick with all the carrot that you've done in the plan, do, check uh, pieces? to kind of motivate users to, to, to think a little bit more or, or, or do a little bit better. It's, the jury's out on that, that there's two schools of thought. One is that, that says, uh, beat them and beat them hard and beat them soon to, 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 to sort of fix them. And then there's the other that says, that doesn't work, positive reinforcement only, nothing from a negative reinforcement perspective. And, and I feel like the industry is eventually gonna come around to somewhere in the middle bias to positive reinforcement, but in certain cases, maybe it's for high value individuals, or maybe it's for people who continue to kind of be cavalier about uh, about security, where maybe you need a little bit of a stick, or at least the swish of a switch near their ears just to kind of get give them the message. So we'll see. Curious to know what, what people here think. So if you have comments, pop it into uh, either the chat or the Q&A boxes. Um, so so the, the, the types of controls that, that, that we have, they are multi-layered, right? Because I told you, you got to prevent, detect, and, and respond. And, and so we do a lot of things as you look from uh, top to bottom, left to right, and then around from right to left. Um, we're looking for spoofed emails. That, that we can detect, right? So if, if, if an email is coming from the outside with at relics.com, we're gonna be blocking it. Um, we're looking at emails sent to users that are unusual in some way, like a new sender, for instance, or the text of, of, of an email. Um, if it's an external email, we wanna flag it in some way, uh, external meaning from the internet, just so people know, okay, this is coming not from inside, have a little bit of additional care on it. Um, and, and then we want to manage uh, fraudsters that set up domains just like ours. That's a whole different problem, which I'll talk about a couple of slides in uh, when we when we talk about what works and what doesn't. Um, fr from a user perspective, we, we really want to give them the ability to report uh, a suspicious email. For, for the longest time, well, now for five, six years now, we've had a little button in their Outlook. You click to say report a fish, 
and it goes off, uh, it goes to uh, either a third party or to one of our own security staff that will look at it and say, yep, this is fishy. We're going to wipe it out across our enterprise or report back, go back to the user and say, uh, no, this is not actually a fish. You're okay to continue with this. Um, and we spoke a little bit about user behavior and, and user behavior modification. And, and, and for me, it's really to build that institutional um, behavior memory over time. And, and we'll talk about that when I, when I speak about our case study, but it's around you know, some of the training that we do. Uh, some of it is mandatory because of the required by regulation or by law. Much of it is not. It, it, it's a one minute video about magic tricks uh, that that shows the shows how a magician fools people and kind of relates that to um, to fishing and and what the, and, and what a fisher does to you. It very short one minute videos. We we might do have a person who was fooled do a first person interview or a first person write up. It, it's really all around saying, look, everybody makes mistakes. Here's how you respond to them. Here are the kinds of attacks we're seeing. Get people engaged um, so that when they make a mistake, they're, they're not going to hide it. They're going to tell us quickly so we can reduce the, um, the, the, the blast radius of the attack. For, and, and so when you kind of come around to outgoing emails there's, or outgoing action or post email delivery actions, actually, um, you know, we're looking at a lot of things you're, you're probably familiar with. We're, we're checking the URLs in emails at, at the time of receipt, as well as the time of click to try and detect malicious domains or malicious um, websites. Um, we look at um, response services. So when we report uh, an email as a fish, say to Microsoft or to someone else, we make sure that that signature then applies across our enterprise. So as soon as the, and I'm saying this you know, fairly loosely, but as soon as the first person reports a malicious email uh, and, and we notice it that it is malicious in some form, we can essentially go into our uh, network and block that type of email or that sender or characteristics of that email across the whole enterprise. And we've actually had this happen where we were fished or, or there was an attempted fish where a remarkably authentic looking um, financial statement was sent to, I think like 80 users in our fairly high value users in our enterprise. Um, the very first person, well, one of the people who got it reported it within a minute and within five minutes, we were able to sweep and remove these emails out of uh, 80 mailboxes and, and 60 of those people didn't even know they'd gotten an email. So essentially it's very proactive protection that we try to enable with kind of the bottom portion of it, which is the, the, the response capabilities that we have. And, and then finally, of course, we can take down uh, websites as well if, if we, or, or LinkedIn profiles or, or other things of that sort. Uh, because we have services that allow us to at least report bad profiles in LinkedIn or bad websites and hope to take them down. Um, I, I want to move on with, you know, I've, I've talked a lot in theory about, well, we do this, we do that. I want to show you some real examples of, of, of what we do. Um, quickly, so this is on the on the left side, the the left side, yeah, external email, use caution. That's a standard header that goes to everybody that gets email from the internet. We'll talk a little bit about tag fatigue uh, sh shortly, but but that's the email that comes in. Uh, that's the header that's popped onto every email. Uh, when we email external recipients, there's just a little alert that says, hey, you're replying to external recipients. That's the bottom uh, shot. And, and that's really helpful because sometimes you may not notice that your CEO has sent you an email and, and you're like, oh, oh, got to reply. And when you reply, maybe you haven't noticed the external email tag, but when you reply and you see replying to external recipients, you might pause. Uh, the third piece on the right side is heuristics, where we look for um, keywords, we look for unusual uh, you know, character sets and, 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 and things of that sort within email. 
some that are pre-built or, or built by a vendor, some that we build ourselves. And so we put in a, a tag within an email that says, hey, this might be a phishing attempt. Here's more information. Uh, be really, really careful. And then finally, another configuration we have is unusual center warnings, which is the very bottom one. Uh, and, and that's where someone sent an email to, to John and um, it says, eh, you know what? You don't often get mail from Sarah Harris. And, and so maybe he, there is actually a Sarah Harris at uh, johnstarenergy.co.uk, but this is a spoofed email, maybe. And, and so even though John's probably corresponded with Sarah forever, when he sees this, this alert, and says, okay, here's, here's why this is important. They might pause for a minute and pausing for a minute is all that you need to mitigate against a phishing attack. So these are kind of a few examples of the user experience from our security controls. Um, okay, so, so, so I wanna talk for just a moment about, about these two charts. Uh, and, and I might kind of actually concentrate on the bottom one, but the top one is cute, right? It, it's cute and it's eye candy because it shows you from our, from our system, we get a chunk of total email over here. And then as it flows through before it gets delivered to the user, here are all the things that we do from a technology perspective. Uh, if you know of uh, bad IP addresses that are on uh, block lists like uh, RBL, for instance, or, or spam house, you can block them at the edge. Once they get past that, we have custom rules that can, can block another set of uh, e emails. And then we can start going through and looking at every email, we as in the system, looking for malware, looking for phishing, looking for spam, looking for impersonation. Um, and, and we can code in some of these to be custom rules where we say, look, we've got 50 people in finance and, and business management that are really important. And those are the ones we want to absolutely alert or block on if there's email coming from them from the internet. That should never happen. So that's those pieces around impersonation. Um, and, and then there's the detonation block, which is what I was telling you about, which is a URL within an email or an attachment within an email that's not detected by antivirus but just has signs of, um, of, 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 of something suspicious. Um, and, and then there's a few others, right? So when you look over here on the right side bottom, um, these are numbers from one quarter for us. And, and, and so as a company, we get like 450,450 million emails in a quarter. And, and so that, that basically computes to about 153 emails per employee per day. Um, but after we block a whole bunch of different things, which is edge protection, malware checks, uh, so on and so forth, um, 36 of those emails, so, so what is that, 25%, give or take, are all blocked before a, a user, even see, user even needs to interact with them. There's a couple that are take actions that are taken at the bottom that are taken after delivery, which means it gets into a user's mailbox, and it's only when um, the user clicks on an email or clicks on a link or does something that uh, it checks and, and, and blocks at that time. But it's interesting, right? When you look at it, 25% uh, of our email is malicious or unwanted in some way, and we're able to block those. And yet, and then we also then turn around and put banners and warnings on a bunch of other emails. And I don't know what those numbers are, honestly. Uh, and yet there's some of those messages that are going to squeak through given that you're getting 450, 465 million emails in, in, in a quarter. And, and so that's why the pieces around uh, the detection capability by the user, the reporting capability by the user, and then kind of the, um, the, the controls that prevent something bad from becoming something worse are so, so important for, 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 for us anyway. Um, I want to make sure I'm staying on time. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about phishing simulations and, and uh, how we've changed really institutional uh, behavior uh, or, or institutional behavior muscle memory, right? 
we, we began doing fishing simulations and, and, and what they are is essentially we take or, or we, we take a fishing email from the wild um, and, and then change it maybe a little bit and then we send it to our employees and see what happens, right? So we, uh, in, in, the, in, 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 in the past, it was quarterly and we just said, oh, we'll just pick 25% random, 25% of our population and send it to them. Um, now we do it monthly and we do it to all of our staff. Very quickly, we realized that even if users um, detected a fish or detected something malicious, they didn't know what to do with it. And so we started providing users reporting tools soon after the 2016. Uh, we started telling users, look, you're not to blame. Um, tell us immediately when you make a mistake or when you find a fish, because that helps you and the rest of the company. Uh, we, we did a fair bit of reinforcement with the you know, nudging theory, like 95% uh, of your peers don't click on uh, suspicious links. Here's what you can do to join them. Uh, or 30% uh, of your peers have reported every simulation this year. How would you like to join them? And, and contests and things of that sort, right? Very touchy-feely stuff. I mean, I'm a big believer in technology and, and how it can be used to, to, to change behavior as well as protect companies, but wording matters. Um, and, and we started realizing that with all of the work in behavioral science, and I know serious is multidisciplinary because of that. So, so we do a lot of work in terms of communications and reinforcement. Uh, and then we did, like I said earlier, we've done some reporting, uh, sorry, some disciplinary actions. Uh, I'm not sold on disciplinary actions. I, I kind of get it for a very small subset of the population, but to, to, to warn users when they click on one fish, it's I, I, I personally not my, uh, not my preference. So, so the results are, are, are really quite astonishing. When you look at 2016, when we first started our our, our, uh, our simulations, we were at a 40% susceptibility rate. Uh, we were 10 to 12% worse than an industry benchmark. And users, even if they detected something, had no way to report a suspicious email. Today, we're at give or take a one, two, 3% susceptibility rate. And I, I'm kind of stretching out the 1% that I have on the slide, uh, really because it depends on the simulation, but we're in like, very, very low single digits. Um, we're significantly better than the benchmark and fully half of our users. And so when, when, when I say 33,000 users that we have, fully 16 to 18,000 of them will report these simulations when, they, when it pops into their mailbox. And then separate from that, we get tens of thousands of suspicious emails that they get reported into our mailboxes. The flip side of it, users find this button so convenient. Every time they see an email they don't care for, like uh, you know, an invitation to a seminar, for instance, or a marketing message, they're very happy, happy to click on uh, report phishing or report malicious. And, and so now we get a mix of um, phishing messages and suspicious messages and a big chunk of messages that users were just pissed off by or annoyed by, or just didn't care to see again. So, so that's, you know, careful what you ask for because uh, what you think you'll get and what you actually get can be quite different. Uh, happy, happy to go through these numbers in, in detail during Q&A. Um, I want to do, I think I have, yeah, I just have two more slides, which is great because then we can go get into Q&A. I think there are three, at least three questions. Uh, so, so here are the control possibilities with, with my opinion on how well I think they work in enterprises. Um, it, it's a fairly busy slide. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm generally of the idea that you should do whatever you can to get delta um, improvements in your fishing posture. As far as long as you can make those delta improvements invisible to the end user. Because every bit of um, friction you put on an end user comes not only with the good, which is it, it helps you block, block a phishing email or, or whatever else, 
it comes with a bad, which is that a user gets confused, tired, annoyed, et cetera. And, and so we try to concentrate the controls that we put as far as possible um, into technology backend stuff and then into uh, some of the nudgy uh, guidance stuff that, that I showed you with, with headers and whatnot, right? If we're not certain about a message, we might put a little bit of advice and let the user go, go from there. But, but generally speaking, making a user have a whole lot of uh, judgment or steps to take doesn't work because users want to do things and not security things, right? So, so um, I, I won't go through each one of these um, just so we can get to Q&A, but, but I will say that there are a couple that I I on the fence about or, or flat out don't care for. So the, the flagging external emails, we did some significant A-B testing before we put that external email tag in our, in our, in our emails. And the testing showed that detecting either phishing emails or suspicious emails, we got a huge lift by putting the flag in. The problem is that the flag tends to degrade over time because people kind of get used to it. If you keep getting a, 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 a message in your emails from the outside, at some point you go blind to it. And so we've tried to combat that by changing the color, changing the text, changing the bold versus uh, non-bold, um, that sort of thing. But we haven't done any additional research on, okay, at what point do people get so tired of uh, these, these flags in an email that they just don't care and it's useless? Don't know the answer to that. And that's why that's got a question mark on it. Uh, in, the, in the beginning of our journey, we were like, oh, maybe we should do digital signatures. Everybody needs to have a digital certificate and they can verify um, email signatures. And so anybody who's sending a just a random phishing email um, will not be verifiable. It's just not possible, especially for us. We've got thousands of vendors. We've got users who do, who wouldn't know how to ver verify a digital signature, uh, who wouldn't know how to use one. Um, the, the, the overhead of managing a digital signature infrastructure and then trying to kind of push it out to, to, to vendors is just so painful. Unless it were a complete industry-led effort, uh, we scrapped that early on. We, we looked at it, we're like, oh, this would be cool. Um, and then we said, yep, this is not, never going to work for us. Um, and, then, and then finally, well, two things. Lookalike look domain management, where we say we've got relics.com and, and we go around the internet looking for any new domains being registered that look like ours. And then in real time or near real time, we block them on our systems or, or you know, we ask for a domain takedown. Whew. We thought it was great. We thought it was really useful and we thought it was cool because we'd see these lookalike domains being registered within a day, within an hour of them being uh, registered. It, it, it eventually, this doesn't work so well. And, and the reason why is because um, there are, because we're a large company and we have thousands of legitimate domain names, uh, there's tens of thousands of lookalike domains that may be uh, just trying to look for you typing it wrong so they can serve you ads or they, they buy a lookalike domain so that you'll buy back off them. And, and so the sort of the signal to noise ratio from lookalike domains and malicious activity is, is, is so warped that in a sense, we've kind of given up on much of it. Um, it it's too much work for too little value. Same deal with third-party takedown services. If you already use them, awesome. But if you don't use them today, don't buy them just for phishing because you've got a whole bunch of check marks up here that probably give you more bang for the buck. Okay, so last slide, and then we'll take a look at Q&A because I think you guys run off at 5, 5.30. And, and so this is really about kind of, you know, if, if you, once you, if you get out and if you're, if you're at a corporation and you're like, okay, what do I do about phishing mitigation? Um, this is really a three-step process. One is around weakest areas as, a, as an organization. 
where where are where are they? Is your finance function really loosey goosey and and they send money to anyone who asks? Is it an executive problem? Is it somewhere else? Uh, providing re uh, reporting capabilities to users and and kind of creating an awareness program that users can interact with is super useful because you want to bring your users into this shared journey as quickly as you can. Once you do that, beginning your program, it, it, it's really around the high value controls that I spoke of on the previous slide. So when, I, when you look at effectiveness, look at the high ones, the response processes, uh, the report of fish capability, the simulations, um, start on those because you'll get quick bang for the buck there. Um, look at high risk processes. And I'm talking about your CEOs, your finance, HR, where data, uh, related to people or finances involved. And then finally, when you kind of grow your program, you, you, we, we, start, we started looking at uh, essentially bringing users into the mix. I always tell people I've got a 33,000 strong security team because we may not all do it perfectly all the time every day, but all 33,000 of our employees have an interest in security. It's driven from our board of directors to our CEO, to me, to our divisional chief security officers. Um, and, and people get it, that it's important. Doesn't mean they won't make mistakes, but they get that it's important to us. Uh, you still need to address your repeat offenders, right? We talked about the carrot versus stick. Um, and then try to figure out which of your medium value controls you want to implement and in, in, in what order, and then start measuring whether all the work you're doing in these e steps is actually making a difference, or do you need to throw away some of your controls to replace them with 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 others? So every day, really, we're looking at okay, is something we're doing working, and is is it still working, or is it something that we need to adapt, or do we need to throw throw away? My personal preference is if we can insulate the user from all of the detection prevention work that, that we're doing, that's wonderful. We need the user at the at the point when the, these emails come in and we want to train them and we want to give them the tools, but wherever possible, look to, and I'll go like this many slides back, look to use technology to uh, push messages into all of these pieces, malware, phishing, spam, impersonation, et cetera, and, and bring in the user as, as kind of a last level of checking uh, and, and, and assistance to your, to your security team. So, so with that, I'll stop with my prepared material um, and, and then we, we can go into Q&A. Mike, Mike, how are we gonna do Q&A? Should I just look at the Q&As or will you read them out? We we can do it whichever way you'd like. You can either read them yourself or oh, I can okay. You. Okay. Let me just move. Ah, let me just move this here. They're all anonymous attendees. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, I I can read them. Fast. Thank you. Okay. So the the first the first question from an anonymous attendee was, uh, "What services do you offer?" I'm not sure what. That that question is to, to, to be honest. I, I will tell you what Relex does, um, and 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 so we work in a few different biz, uh, business segments, right? So we work with Elsevier, which is our uh, research and publications business. So any of you that's in grad school, for instance, has probably used uh, Elsevier at at Purdue Library. So so we work with publishing firms, we work with researchers, we work with professors to curate and publish. Uh, knowledge. LexisNexis is legal research and legal services. So if you're a lawyer or know a lawyer, they probably use our services to do case law analysis, right? So, so what decisions have been reported? Um, how, how does a jury lean or how does a judge lean towards um, do a judgment in this jurisdiction? That sort of stuff. LexisNexis resolutions, uh, which is the piece I was telling you about, which is around um, insurance and, and law enforcement and, and collections and banking, where they use our data to make risk-based decisions or, or to help make risk-based decisions so that you get 
you get to open your bank account super quickly. You get to get a car insurance quote super quickly and at a fair price. So, so those are the services the company offers. If, if you had in mind a different question, just pop it back into the Q&A, would you please? Uh, the second question was, what level of access do most phishing attacks grant the attacker? For the most part, no level of access. Uh, most of the phishing attacks that we see are ones that are trying to steal money. And, and so they're trying to do it via email, right? They're sending an email, creating a trust relationship with the employee, and then manipulating that trust relationship over time. And this could be over five minutes. Or it could be over a couple of days to get the user to do something for them, which is wire money to them or, or, or send a payment by check or, or, or whatever else. Um, there's a subset of phishing attacks, and I'll just call them attacks because they're not quite phishing attacks because they're not trying to get information out of you. These are emails that come in and say, oh, I think you're going to get fired. Here's a list of the people getting fired tomorrow. And that the, the attachment is actually malicious. And then that goes into a whole different study of work, which is you open the attachment, you get infected. And then from there, uh, the, the program attempts to go across the network, gain access. Uh, there's ransomware scenarios. There's uh, compromise of your entire network scenarios and lateral movement and all that other stuff. I don't know if I would count that as a phishing attack. It's got similar characteristics, but it, it, it's really it, it, it's really a malicious email attack at that point. Phishing attacks, they're just trying to manipulate a trust relationship that they build with you. Um, <laughs> yes, have you ever faced, so one other person said, uh, asked, have you ever faced an issue where legitimate emails have been blocked before it reached the mailbox? How have you worked around that? Um, I feel certain we have um, a, a, a small uh, false positive rate. Um, we had an issue where we said, okay, if if the email looks like it names the user um, and it's coming to the user again, block it because it's probably spoofed. What we didn't account for was users have personal email addresses with the same name and they might exchange emails back and forth between personal, their personal email and their, their work email. And, and so things were getting blocked that way. We have a bunch of cloud services where um, emails sent from the cloud services would send an email saying from uh, Amazon um, on behalf of uh, Aurobindo Sundaran. And so we'd look at that and say, oh, that's impersonation. We should block it. And, and so not only have our tools gotten a little bit smarter about it, um, we will usually move these messages into rather than just flat out delete them. We just move them into a, a in, into like a junk folder, and users can go in there, take a look, and and kind of pluck them out from there. We haven't had a lot of complaints, oh, at least over the last four years or so, and I think that's because the detection process is is a little bit better, and um, I, I think people are like, yep, I get it. Occasionally, because we're doing security strictly, uh, uh, some real messages will be in my junk mail. I should just check that every so often. So it, it has not been a, 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 a huge issue. Um, I think, yeah, that, that was the full set of um, questions. Are there any others? Oh, there you go. Yeah, so um, somebody asked, earlier you mentioned an instance in which a phishing email was removed from all affected mailboxes within five minutes. How long does it typically take the security team to act on a phishing report? What does that process look like? Okay, great question. Um, so, so, so the process is based, I'll walk you through end to end, right? User clicks on an email and says, oh, this is suspicious. It goes over to a mailbox. And I can't speak for Relics overall because we have four operating divisions, but let me pick one representative sample uh, where this email goes to one of our third-party providers and they do the analysis, right? So they look at the email headers, they look at the from email, from, from envelope, they look at any URLs in the, in, in the email that's been reported, blah, 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 blah. So they check it and they're like, ah, you know what? Let's say it's, it's not a fish, life moves on. 
you send a message back to the user and say, it's fine. But let's go down the other path, which is they say, oh gosh, this is suspicious. Uh, what, what they will do, what the third-party service does is drop a message back to the user and say, um, this is a suspicious email, you did really well, kind of a pat on the back. And then our, our security teams are copied into it. And what they then do is they go into our portal and they say, okay, well, this message from uh, citibankonline.com is suspicious. Let's run a, a few filters within Office 365, which is our email platform, to look for all messages that are similar or have the same characteristics. Uh, get that list and you can click a button and, and say, delete all of these or report all of these or whatever else. So, so really the process takes five minutes or so and, and, and really kind of the, uh, the, the timing depends on whether someone's watching the console constantly or if, if you know, it's going to take an hour before something is done. And so that, I, I think you're unknowingly maybe hitting on a key, key piece, which is as soon as you get a bad malicious email, you've got to quickly go across your enterprise and wipe it. And so one of the things we're doing, did last year and we're continuing this year is around automation to not have a human in the process is as soon as we know something's malicious to have a robot or other process that goes and does the work without involving a security analyst. And, and that, that's where the future is, is to decrease response time as much as possible. I hope that, I hope that answered your question. That sounds like a good answer. Um, so I guess overall the question is, do you do you feel for the amount of time and and uh, expenses that you've invested in this this overall campaign? Yeah, the results are good results, or I, obviously you're always trying to tune it. But do you feel that you've gotten a good return on the efforts you've put in? Or not? Yeah, I think so. I I I, I think we're very we're very happy with the culture change and the behavior change that we've that we've that we've done with users. Like you said, Spath, you're right. You can always do better. Like you know, the the question brought up earlier about can you not decrease the uh, the response time? Yep, you can and you should because the attackers are getting quicker. But but generally speaking, I, I think we're happy because we've made security top of mind. And, and so separate from the 100 million odd messages that we block every year and, and kind of the risk mitigation there, uh, users think about this not only when they get an email, but when they send emails just randomly to people, they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be sending this. Or when they're doing operations, turning on servers, uh, et cetera, they're, they're a little bit more security focused. And I think that's the biggest unquantifiable bang for the buck is that people are more careful when they do all their other work functions. That's great. Have you thought at all about the impact of generative AI on phishing? We we have and 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 we worry about it and 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 that's because we have seen some of these deep fakes, right? And 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 so for the most part they've been relatively unsophisticated, which is just sending a, a, a uh, an audio generated thing that looks that that sounds good and then they quickly transition to a, a uh, SMS or email method and that's fine and we, and we can target that we I worry a lot about the generative AI pieces where you could get a phone call from someone who's like your boss and and the AI is essentially using a speech that they did a long time ago and syncing up the words to say hey Aurobindo can you please go ahead and do ABC uh, this is me, you know, the the CEO of the company, and having that conversation. Of course, everyone's familiar with ChatGPT and and what it can do, but yes, we worry about that, and and sort of I think thinking through, okay, what are the fail safes that we can have to prevent a big bang issue, right? So even if the CEO says and he's on video saying, please transfer ten million right now and we believe it, can there be two extra levels of protection before um, that actually goes through? So, so, so I think we'll end up doing something more. I don't know what it is yet, but we worry about 
the that that sort of that that, that trust relationship being maintained through generative AI for sure. That may be a place for digital signatures where if the value is over a certain amount, mm -hmm. they have yep. to kind of well, this is all fascinating, and I hope the attendees have gotten something out of it. This is what a a large, very large global organization is doing. And when you think about phishing, if you look at those raw numbers, just think about those numbers in the hundreds of millions yeah, yeah. of emails per quarter, right? Per that, quarter. Yeah, yes, just per quarter. That's right. Yeah, near, nearly uh, half a billion email messages per quarter, uh, even a small number of false positives or false negatives has a big impact on business processes. And so um, I, I think this is great for the purposes of getting that idea across. Thank you so much for speaking uh, in, this, in this seminar. Um, we'd love to host you in person sometime if you're able to visit. And for all the mm -hmm. attendees, we uh, invite you to visit next week with our next speaker. So thank you so much, Robin. You're very welcome, Spaff. So good to see you. And everyone have a good afternoon. Bye, everybody.